in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And as you're turning, I'll tell you this is sermon number two. Number one was really dull. I don't mean earlier this morning. I mean, I wrote a whole separate sermon. I looked at it and I thought, wow, this would put everybody to sleep. So I decided to go with something that, rather than teaching about the mission of Christ, shows you Christ's own mission with his disciples, developing them to go out in chapter 9. So we'll be looking at uh, Luke chapter 8. Let me read to you from introduction, Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so here's the great theme of Scripture. Christopher Wright has noted, I think rightly, along with others, that our God is a missionary God. He is a God of mission that is most clearly seen in the greatest missionary act in the entirety of history when Jesus, the Son of God, leaves heaven, takes on human flesh, walks among us to bring us close to God, to bless us and to help us be a blessing to others. Not only is God himself a mission God, but he always does that with his people. He always does that in partnership with lives like Abram who became Abraham, or lives like Peter, or like us. And so he not only has a mission, he, his people exist to share that mission with him, to experience his love and be blessed by him, and then go into the world in the name of Christ to bless the world. We are blessed in order to bless others. The first part of that is the part that we like. The second part is more difficult. The first part, to be blessed by God, is a great thing. Sometimes it kind of gets hung up, leaving our hearts to enter the world, to bless the world. But let's take a look at Jesus and how he is teaching his disciples about uh, the blessing that God has for them and the blessing he wants to be. I want you to look with me at Luke chapter 8, verse 40. This is a story where Jesus is training the disciples He has just come back from across the uh, Lake Tiberias. It's also called the Sea of Galilee or Lake Capernaum. If you have, do you have Bibles in the back? uh, Do you have maps in the back of your Bibles anymore? Mine does. And if you look at the New Testament map uh, up toward the top, you'll see the Sea of Galilee or Uh, Lake Tiberias, and if you look closely, it has a funny shape to it. It's shaped like a harp, and so its name was Kinnereth, which means Harp Lake. And so here at Harp Lake, Jesus has crossed the lake. He's left the town of Capernaum. That was his uh, hometown for the few years of his ministry. We know that he had a house there, according to Mark chapter 2. It's called his hometown. Uh, It's not where he was from, but it was where he lived, and he went to a synagogue. It was not a big town. 
by the way, maybe 20,000. The numbers are difficult uh, to judge, but 20,000 would be an upper limit. And then that, uh, anybody here from a small town? Several, oh yeah, boy. My first pastorate was in a town of 2,600. That's a small town, and it was a long way from anything larger. And I want you to know everybody in town knew everybody's business. That's just the nature of a small town. I would have a meeting. I'd go down to make a deposit at the bank. They'd be talking about the meeting I just left. It was just incredible. You know what a secret is in a small town? A secret is something that you think nobody else knows. But they do. And so here's Jesus in this small town and it's a town where there was a synagogue. It was a town that was under a garrison, meaning that it was occupied by the Romans, who had collected taxes there. You remember Levi, who became Matthew, was a tax collector in this town. This is the town where the synagogue, Jesus begins his ministry, talking from the book of Isaiah. So he had been in this synagogue, and he took his 12 disciples with him in a boat, across the Sea of Galilee, across Lake Kenner, to the Gerasenes area, and he took all those nice Jewish boys into the worst place you could imagine. He took them into a graveyard, which is unclean. You're not supposed to go there if you're, if you're staying clean as a Jewish man. He takes them into this graveyard. Not only does he take them to a graveyard, but he takes them to a crazy guy who is naked and breaking chains and uh, filled with evil spirits, and he casts those spirits out into unclean pigs, and they die. And don't you know, those disciples are all like, what is going on? What am I going to tell Mama about this? This is not where I ought to be. This is not what I should be doing. And so uh, that story ends with a Gadarene demoniac falling at Jesus' feet, saying, let me go with you. And Jesus sending him back to this town uh, to proclaim what God had done for him. Right after that, they get back in the boat, they come home, and we pick up in verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him. We know from later in the passage that this was not a crowd like this group. You guys look great. You're very quiet. You're sitting in rows. Some of you are actually awake and paying attention. You know, it's really great. This crowd that Jesus comes back to is a desperate group of people. Some of them may have been there for curiosity. Some of them may have been there like a political rally, hoping that Jesus would lead them to freedom out from under the Roman rule. He was the new Joshua with the new 12 tribes. And, you know, later he feeds the 5,000. He raises the dead. Wouldn't this guy be a great Joshua who conquered the land force? And of course, Jesus is a translation of the name Joshua. So they, they were thinking, this is our deliverer. This is the guy who will throw off the Roman yoke. People like that gathered for political reasons. The town was there because there was nothing to do in Capernaum and something was happening, so you wanted to go see. Kind of like the time the 
cement mixer fell off the bridge in my small town. That was three days worth of entertainment, you know. Well, here's Jesus, and he, he's coming, so the whole town is gathering. People who are sick, hospitals were not much back then, and he was healing the sick. Demons were being cast out. People who were desperate came to see Jesus, and they didn't sit in rows. They welcomed him in a rowdy crowd. This is more like, you ever seen rugby? You know what a scrum is? Everybody's getting down and just kicking at something in the middle. That's kind of what we got going on here. We got a crowd that's more like a scrum. And uh, in that crowd, they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. Now, we're not told this, but frequently, those rulers were Pharisees or scribes. They were well-known. They were expert in Scripture, strict folks. Jairus comes, and of course, that would have been his synagogue where Jesus cast out a demon, where Jesus began his ministry. Uh, so they would have been familiar with each other. They're not strangers. Jairus comes, and he does something un unusual. He just falls on his face in front of Jesus, falls to his knees. He was the ruler of the synagogue, and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him, to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. If you have children, you know that they can make you desperate, can't they? They really can. And here's a man who the thought of his 12-year-old only daughter dying is just driven to see Jesus. And, and here's a man of standing in the community. I'm sure everyone recognized him. He presses his way through the crowd. He gets to Christ. He falls at his knees and he says, please save my girl. Come save my little girl. And Jesus very tenderly begins to follow him. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And so you can see that it may have been that the disciples were sort of become bodyguards at this point, trying to keep the people from, from crushing Christ because so many people wanted to be near him, to see, to hear. They pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. You need to know that this uh, was a shameful disease. Now, we, our culture is not a shame-based culture. Uh, in the East, and Japan, I've been in shame-based cultures. In Europe, there are a few. Middle East, certainly. Some in South America is not really shame-based. And so it's hard for us to understand the weight that is put on you when your, your community turns their back on you, when your family views you as unclean and dishonorable because they believe you sinned in such a way that God has punished you by making you always untouchable. 
That's who this woman was. That issue of blood is not, for us, it's, it's a disease. For her, according to Leviticus chapter 15, go back and read, this issue of blood made her always unclean. And not just her individually. When she sat or touched something, it became unclean. And if you came by and touched it, you became unclean. If you touched her or even the things she touched, it was communicable. And what, the, what happened when you were rendered ceremonially unclean like that is, you had to make an offering and wait till sundown until you were clean. And this woman, unnamed, unnamed, pushes quietly through that crowd. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. She felt and knew that she was well. She reached out and took hold of, of just the end of his garment and was healed. What a wonderful thing. And now Jesus does something very odd. But by the way, if, if you want to know what the theology of this was practically during the day, read John chapter 9, verse 1. The disciples, many of whom went to the synagogue that Jairus was leading in Capernaum, find a man born blind. And what is their first question to Jesus about the man born blind? Who sinned? Why is that a problem for them? Well, he was born blind. I mean, he didn't have much time to do anything wrong. So was it him or was it his parents? Somebody sinned or he wouldn't have been born blind. That was the idea that people would have had about this woman. We don't know what she did, but she did something wrong. For God to dishonor her like this, for her to be unclean, as she goes through that crowd, and takes hold of Jesus, him, she is healed. And then Jesus does something shocking. You know, what she had hoped was that she was healed. God granted that healing because of her faith. And you know what else she wanted? just to get away without being seen. Why? Because pressing through that crowd, she had touched everybody. You understand? She had just made everybody unclean. And when she touched Jesus, guess what? So what does she want? She wants to be unknown. And the passage doesn't even give us her name. She remains unnamed. She wants to hide. She wants to, to, to disappear. But, and, and Jesus said, who touched me? 
Uh, I love the disciples. They're like, who touched you? The whole town touched you. Everybody and their mama's been touching you all the way down the street. What do you mean, who touched you? You know, and so uh, Peter, who gets the hard job, says, Master, oh, who touched me? They all denied it. Now, don't you, you see what's happening, don't you? Jesus stops and says, who touched me? Or he's like, he doesn't want to be touched. Back up. You know, who touched me? I think a little circle developed. Everybody going, not me, not me. It wasn't me touching you. He don't want to be touched. You stop touching him. Don't push. Right? And Peter comes up to Jesus and says, Master, the crowd surrounds you and are pressing in on you. Everybody touched you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. Somehow, when that woman touched him, he knew that her touch came with faith that healed her, and he knew it. And so he stops, and this woman is terrified because she's about to be shamed again. She's just ruined the healing of Jairus' daughter, rendering Jesus unclean. She's afraid she'll be discovered. She has lived her life hiding for 12 years. It's all she knows. And so under the weight of that shame, she hides again, and Jesus won't have anything of it. Do you understand what he's doing? He doesn't just want to heal her body. He wants to make her whole. He wants to give her her life back. He wants to restore her to her community. He wants her shame to be removed. He wants to give her a place of honor that she could never have made for herself. By the way, it cost him his life to do this. He died for that shame. He died for the guilt. He died for the hiding. She doesn't know that yet. She doesn't know the price he'll pay. But Jesus is not content to simply let her go healed. He wants her whole and restored and welcomed and honored. And so he sees her. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden... She came trembling and falling down, just like Jairus. Twelve years sick, twelve years daughter. Jairus falls down, the woman falls down. The parallels are there and important. She came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, won't you listen? He said to her, daughter. That's not usual. That's not how single men address unclean women. Do you understand what he's doing? He is putting honor 
own her. He's, he is saying, you are with me. You are one of mine. You are my child, whom I will give my life for. Daughter, your faith has made you well. He doesn't just say, I have healed you. What he's saying to her is, you are an example of what it means to believe in God for all these people. Not only do you have a relationship with me, you are a woman of immense faith. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Now, we don't have, all of this is in Greek originally and now in English. We have very few words of Christ exactly, most likely in Aramaic. Here, I hear a Hebrew word ringing in my head. You know what it is? Shalom. I believe that what Jesus is saying when he says go in peace is he is pronouncing the wholeness and the blessing and the welcome and the favor and the help and the care of God over this woman's life. Go in peace. Go in God's favor and shalom. And so unwilling to leave her in shame, he raises her up as his daughter, an example of faith, covers her with the favor, shalom of God, and about this time, Jairus is just dying. He knew who she was. He knew she was unclean. It was a small town. I think the odds of that are immense. I believe that when that crowd parted and he saw her face, I believe his heart sank because he thought, oh no. First they're in a hurry and she stopped him. If I had been him, I would have thought, couldn't this wait another 30 minutes? She's been sick 12 years. Couldn't you spare the 30 minutes instead of stopping and doing all this and get to my little girl who's dying? For the love of mercy, why are you doing this? And I, I believe that Jesus is doing something tender and caring for Jairus. He is helping Jairus to believe. This daughter was healed. What is he saying to Jairus? Your daughter too. Do you understand? He's helping his faith. He's helping him to believe. He's giving him an example. And so, while they were stopped, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. Now, he goes with them to Jairus' house. Uh, he sends away the mourners. He takes only a few disciples with him into her bedroom. And with her parents and with just a few of the disciples, he says to her, little girl, get up. And the ultimate uncleanness in Jewish ritual 
religion was death. And so just as the unclean spirits fled from Jesus, just as the unclean issue fled from Christ, when Jesus speaks to this young girl, death flees. And she gets up. In the book of Mark, we have a very unusual two words. We have very few what is called the uh, verba epissima, the exact words of Jesus. In the book of Mark, it records this in Aramaic. It says, Talitha kum, so that you can hear the voice of Jesus speaking to that little girl, telling death to leave and her to get up. Now, what are we to do with these things? Each of us comes today with burdens that you may not be able to share. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. There may be some here who carry a shame or a sin or a past or an addiction or a habit that you don't even want to name. And this morning, with us, both in a figure and with us spiritually, is Jesus Christ. And if you will reach out in faith to him, he will forgive. He will cleanse. He will heal, not because of your promises to do better, not because of you're deserving it. But because of his love for people like you and me. Let me ask you a question. At the next synagogue gathering, do you think church was any different that Saturday? Do you think church was different that Saturday? with the woman coming in perhaps for the first time in 12 years, with Jairus standing up saying, my daughter was spared. Do you think that that service was any different? You know, as, as God works in your life, as he forgives your sin today, it'll cost you something, just like it cost this woman something. Scared her to death to name who she was to Jesus scares you to death to name your shame, your need, your failing to Jesus. Do you know what happens when you, when you do? Your uncleanness meets the Savior who pushes it back and who cleanses your life and restores you to God and says to you and your heart, though you can barely even believe it, you are my child, you are my daughter, you are my son. Peace. Wouldn't that be great? How is this a missions? How is this anything to do with missions? Don't you understand? Those who are blessed go to bless. Those who are blessed, who have that, 
within them who have heard the voice of Christ for themselves have something to talk about, like in that synagogue on the following Saturday. You have something to talk about. And Christ commissions you just like he does his 12 in the next verses in chapter 9, to go out, to take the message of his love and forgiveness to the most likely, least deserving, unclean, irreverent, that God, because he loves the world, desires to bless just as much as Jairus and just as much as this woman. And just as much as you. So I'm going to close with prayer. I'm going to ask that God be with you and give your heart the strength to reach out to Jesus with the need of your life. For right now, let's pray. Lord, I pray that your spirit would come and that he would do what I cannot do, what we can't even do for ourselves. Lord, that he would open our eyes to our need and give us a moment of honesty to say, Lord, help me.